Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Blountstown, Chipley, and Mariana. As you heard, our friend Gavin is going to be sharing with us today, and uh, I'm really excited about what you're going to be hearing from him. But before he comes, we just wanted to pause and celebrate how you as a church were for our communities. So two weeks ago, we invited everybody to give $4 so we could support Chrome Ministry and Mission. Um, they opened in January in the old Mariana Middle School. They have 75 men already in the program. When they're at full capacity, they're gonna have about 200 men that they're gonna be serving. They also have a plan for a women's recovery center as well. Now, if you're not familiar with who they are, they are a 12-month faith-based resident program that focuses on the men in all of our communities. There are men from all of our communities, Calhoun, Washington, Jackson County, all a part of this program. So they focus on rescue, recovery, and then re-engagement. What that means is, is they give these men an opportunity to connect with God or reconnect with God, transition their lives and grow spiritually in the process, and then reunite with their family and children and become the men that God God created them to be. Now, here is how you blessed this ministry by giving two weeks ago. So, Bluntstown, you gave $3,364. Chipley, you gave $1,774.44. And Mariana, you gave $5,359.44 for a total of $10,497.88. So, yes, celebrate that because that absolutely is going to make a great difference in their ministry. So thank you for being a church that is for the people in our community that are serving our community. So what I want you to do now is I want you to grab your Bibles, take those app, uh, RCC app, the, go to the talk notes, and let's welcome Gavin Adams at all of our churches as he comes and shares with us today. So Gavin, you're up, man. Hey. See you, buddy. Thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, hey, RCC, so good to see all of you. And a uh, few of you that are not happy I'm here, thanks for having me anyway. Um, uh, I, it's October, so this is going to sound like it's kind of an October thing, but have you noticed uh, how many uh, ghost hunting shows, paranormal shows, movies are out right now? And, and, and it's easy to say this is an October thing, but honestly, it's really not. I, as a culture... We really do have kind of an infatuation with this paranormal thing, and it's a little weird. I don't, I don't know that it's sinful to be interested. Uh, I hope not, because I'm kind of interested. I've watched some of those shows before, um, and then I watch Phineas and Ferbs afterwards so I can go to sleep. But... It's kind of weird. It's kind of intriguing. Um, I remember as a kid even being fascinated in this stuff before they had all these shows. Um, my grandmother lived in this house in the middle of Georgia, state of Georgia, kind of in a rural area of Georgia, and right across the street was this massive cemetery. And when I was a kid, I was the oldest of the grandkids, and so when we were all together, I would always try to get my younger cousins to walk across the street and roam through the cemetery at night. And my grandma would always be upset. Why are you trying to scare everyone? And I'm, I remember thinking, because I'm weird. I don't know. I, it's just intriguing. She was so worried I was going to be a serial killer when I grew up uh, because of all that. And uh, I feel like it's turned out okay. So, um, but... I, I, I remember as an adult, right, trying to figure out why am I infatuated by this? What is it about it that's so intriguing? And I think I can pinpoint why uh, it's intriguing to me. It, it really happened to me when I was 10 years old and I went to summer camp. Now, some of you are young and you've been to summer camps before and you go to summer camp now uh, where we have like attorneys and your parents care. Um, <laughs> in 1985, none of that was true, okay? 
It was the wild, wild west in 85. You could do anything you wanted at summer camp and no one that was held accountable. So when I went to camp as a 10-year-old in 1985, uh, again, the, the counselors, I think, went through training before we got there. And I think the bulk of their training was, here is how you terrified the children. And so... The first day of camp, the first evening, we go through the rules of camp, which you gotta do, right? Don't fight, don't yell and you know, beat each other up, you know, all these kinds of things. And then at the end of this conversation, uh, my counselor, who by the way, his nickname was Killer, that should tell you something, uh, Killer looks at all of us and he says, I'm not even making that up, it's his real name. He was a giant human. He was a teddy bear, but oh my gosh, he was terrifying. So he looked at all of us and said, there is one more rule. Um, do, under no circumstances should you ever go near or in the dining hall after probably 10 p.m. D don't, don't at all. Don't do that. Uh, now, I, I was unfamiliar with things like Harry Potter. I was 10, hadn't come out yet. It's like the Forbidden Forest, if you've listened to Harry Potter. Uh, uh, it's like, you just don't want to go in there. Like, there's werewolves and unicorns, and it's just going to be really, really scary. And so, He's, he doesn't even tell us why. He just says, don't go in after 10 p.m. And then he walks away. Of course, the kid beside me is like, I have a question. Uh, wh why can't we go near the dining hall after 10 p.m.? We eat breakfast there every day and lunch and dinner. You know what? what? He goes, well, this is all rehearsed in hindsight, I can tell. He goes, well, I, I probably shouldn't tell you this. And there's all these dramatic pauses. I probably shouldn't tell you this. But um, back in 1893... And I'm like, this building was probably built like three years ago. I have no idea. But, but it, it is really old. It looks really old. Back in 1893, um, there was a, a murder there. There was a lady. Um, she was wearing a large hoop skirt. She was actually going to a dance. Now, we're dumb. I'm 10. I'm like, oh, at the dining hall? There's a dance at the dining hall? It, I mean, whatever. We're, we're dumb. We don't know. Uh, going to a dance. Um, and uh, her to-be husband um, murdered her. And so now she haunts the dining hall every night. Um, she's a green floating image in a big hoop skirt. She floats over near the tables near the front. And if you go in, as many campers have tried to do before, and they never come back out. <laughs> now, as an adult, I'm like, that's so stupid. <laughs> like, what do you mean they never come out? Like the parents show up and go, where's Johnny? Oh, the green lady ate him. Oh, okay. Uh, you know? But as a 10-year-old, I heard that story and I was like, well, then I'm, I'm not even gonna have breakfast in the dining hall. <laughs> like, what's keeping her from coming out at 10 a.m.? This is terrifying, yeah, you know? Now, here's what you're gonna love. I, I went to college at the same place that this camp was. It's Barry College, Windshape. I was a Windshape student there. Uh, and so I lived in the dorms right beside the dining hall, which meant almost every night, I walked by the dining hall after 10 p.m. I can count on one hand how many times I, as that 19 and 20 year old, walked by the dining hall. I sprinted by the dining hall every time. My friends at the dorm, I would get there to play, you know, spades or whatever, and, and I would show up and they'd go, Why are you out of breath? I'm like, Well, the green lady is in the dining hall. You know. Now, here's the, I love this part. There's an exit sign in the dining hall that's kind of near the front door. Any guesses what color it glows? green. Uh, at night, you can look down at the dining hall and see a little green glow coming out of the door. And as a 10-year-old, we're like, I think I saw her. Yeah. 
It's just the exit sign. You know, the real thing is there was like tons of uh, Coca-Cola and, and Skittles in the dining hall, and they just didn't want us going down at midnight and raiding the dining hall. That's why they told us the story and, and why we've been in counseling. But um, <laughs> it was such an amazing thing, and it really kind of made me interested in all this weird, spooky ghost stuff. It goes back to the green lady. That's when it started. And uh, which, of course, I grew up as a Christian, as I think I've told many of you before. I've been in church my whole life. And so, you know, with the church I grew up in, we would have like children's church and we go to adult church with like, we called it big church, uh, which big church was bad church for the kid because I was so bored and I'd sit there and I would like read the hymnal and I would, uh, hey, did you ever do this? Like may do Mad Libs or make up other songs uh, or they were singing I Surrender All and you're like, you know, making up stuff. There was one about a sheep and we bab the whole time. I don't know. So write notes. We're just trying to make it through this hour. It was like a marathon. It was like a gauntlet of church. And so uh, I'll never forget one day after coming home from camp uh, and, and we never talked about this. A few weeks after I got back from camp, you know, when the green lady didn't get me, the, the, the pastor started talking about the Holy Ghost. And I remember looking up from the hymnal going, what? And he said, the Holy Ghost and, 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 and I looked around and all the adults were, were enjoying this conversation. I remember thinking, you don't know what's going on with this. This Holy Ghost thing, is it green? This is terrifying. And all the adults, they looked comforted by this. The, the pastor said, and the Holy, the Holy Ghost lives in you. And I remember immediately thinking, this is not good. The adults are smiling and they're like cheering. And I, 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 and I remember even as a 10, 11 year old thinking, I, I don't think anything that lives in you is a good for you. I mean, tapeworms, insecurity. I mean, nothing that lives in you is for your benefit. I didn't really understand this Holy Ghost thing at all. It made no sense to me. And, and, and let's just be honest for a minute. It is kind of a weird part of this God thing. It's a weird part of this Christian faith thing. Growing up, I heard so much about God and Jesus. Here's what I knew, at least as a kid, about it. I knew God was the judging one. That was for sure. I, I, I didn't know for sure. Now, it isn't really true. As an adult, we know that isn't true. But as a kid, I just grew up thinking, that dude's smiting everybody. I, he, he, he's pretty judgmental. He, he doesn't like a lot of different people, although he says he does. At the same time, there's this thing with Israel. It was just very confusing. And God seemed like, to me as a kid, he seemed like the police officer in heaven just looking down going, got you, got you, got you, is what it felt like to me. Now, that is not who God is. I hope you all know that, but that's not at all. But that's what it felt like. And that's why I liked Jesus so much. That's why we, when we sang songs, most of them were out Jesus. And you know why, right? Jesus, he's the loving one. That's Jesus. You know, God was judging people. It felt like Jesus was just hugging people. You know, Jesus was so nice. Jesus, I liked him so much. He would bump into people who were way worse than me as a 10, 12-year-old. And he liked them. And I thought, well, if he's liking the tax collector, the prostitutes, and the sinners, I mean, I've stolen one time, and I, I did beat up a kid, but that's it. So I'm probably okay. Jesus probably loves me, you know? And then that one day, that one day, the pastor talked about the Holy Ghost, and I just remember thinking, well, the Holy Ghost is the, the what? Is it kind of the emotions one? Is that it? I thought when we sang, and there were some people in my church back then, no one did this, but the one weird lady who had raised their hands. Now, I saw some of you did that. You're not weird. But back then, this was weird. The lady would raise her hands in order to think, oh, she's, she, she done slain by the Holy Ghost. I don't know what was going on. You know, but is it the emotions one? Is that what the Holy Ghost is? Or is it the voodoo one? Maybe. 
Or is the Holy Ghost just the green lady-ish one who's gonna devour you if you go in the dining hall? I don't know. I mean, here's what I knew for sure. The only thing I knew about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, but it, it was the mysterious one. I knew that for sure. I knew that for sure. And then when they talked about the Holy Ghost living inside you, that didn't help. It didn't unravel the mystery. In a way, it made it more mysterious. Here's what I would love to do today during our time. I wanna to try to unravel a little bit of the mystery around this Holy Ghost thing. And to do that, I want us to all play pretend for a minute. I want us to all pretend that it's 2,000 years ago and we are all one of those 12 disciples. Now you can pick whichever one you wanna be. Uh, you could be uh, you know, a former fisherman uh, like uh, uh, Peter. You could be a former tax collector. That's a Jesus joke, but you could be a tax collector. You can be anybody you wanna be. But you're one of the 12, okay? You're one of the 12 guys. Jesus has now shown up. You don't know much about him. You've heard a little bit about him, but not, not a ton. Um, you heard he went to a wedding party and it was off the hook. And so the water into wine thing, and you don't even know all about it. You just know that people are bragging about it. And, and you, you, know, you, you know a little bit about this dude. And, and, and he showed up in your like, vicinity and he looked at you he was kind of looked like a rabbi, but not like, he wasn't acting like all the other ones. And then most rabbis would call young teenagers and say, come follow me, because they'd been like progressing through, you know, discipleship, rabbinic school, but you flunked out. This is why you're a fisherman. I mean, I hate to tell you this, but you're not that smart, okay? And so Jesus looks at you and he says, come follow me. And it's a dream come true. You, you can't believe it. You're gonna be a disciple of this weirdo rabbi and he's going about it differently than everybody else, but who cares? You're a disciple. It's so exciting. And here's what you begin to notice. Every time this guy, Jesus, is with you, things feel pretty good. Every time he's away from you, it's a little bit more scary. It's just this pattern. It keeps repeating all the time. Um, you, he was with you for three years. You spent time with him. Um, and, and he would do the most amazing things. He would teach with this authority that made you feel so good about life, about God, about you, about your friendships, your relationships, I mean, all the things. And then remember that time he sent you out and you had to go teach everybody else about what God was doing in this generation and it did not go well. And you know why? It's because Jesus wasn't with you. He sent you out and none of it was easy. And you came back and it was so much better. Remember that time you were in the boat and that Jesus dummy, he was asleep in the bottom, ignoring this big storm that was going on. And, and, and you were terrified, all of us, right? We were so scared and we ran down because we were about to die. We ran down and we woke him up and we're like, how are you not already awake? We're all dying. And he's like, oh my gosh, chill out. And he goes up on top of the boat and he's like, stop. And all the stuff stopped. It was super calm. And you were like, oh my God, Jesus, thanks for being beside me. This is so much better. Remember that time that um, <laughs> this was nuts. You had all these people and Jesus was teaching. There's probably 20,000 people there. I mean, you, you couldn't even see any open space. It was so crowded. He's teaching about all these things. And they were hard teaching. And he was saying some hard stuff. And everybody was going, mmm. It's like cows. Mmm, yeah, mmm. And, and it was massive amount of people. And then one of you, I don't know which one it was, but you came to Jesus and said, hey, they're all getting hungry. We should let them go. And Jesus said, well, go feed them. And you thought, that's, that's cute. And so one of you found like this little boy, he had a sack lunch and you stole it from him and you brought it to Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, this is good. And he divided it up, remember? And we fed 20,000 people in one moment. You know, the, the Bible talks about it as the feeding of the 5,000, but it just counted the men, which is not good, but that's what the Bible did. So it's probably 15, 20,000 people there, kids, women, men included. 
We fed them all together. It was unbelievable. We felt so good. And then Jesus said, you guys get on the boat and, and go on. I'll meet you in a minute. I'm gonna go pray by myself. And again, things didn't go well because Jesus wasn't with you. You, you. you went on the boat. There was a pretty big storm that kind of came up. It was kind of rocking the boat. You were nervous. And then at 3 a.m., uh, some ghost came walking on the water at us. We were really freaking out. It was green in a hoop skirt. No, I'm just kidding. And it was Jesus. And one of you, Peter, I don't know which one of you were Peter, you got out of the boat and walked on water, which was terrifying for me too. And then Jesus got back on the boat and we all felt so much better. Why? He was with us again. And it was such a terrifying time. We were, all, were under Roman rule. Everything we're doing, we're being watched. We're being overtaxed. We're all poor because of this. We barely have enough to scrape by day to day. But when Jesus is with us, it feels so good. And then the unthinkable happens because we're beginning to believe this guy might actually be the, should we say the word Messiah? Like he may actually be God's son. He's definitely affiliated with God. He's somehow connected to God. Is he the Messiah? He might be. He, he actually might be, although he looks nothing like what we thought. Our ancestors talked about uh, he's going to be probably on a white horse, giant sword. He's going to slaughter Rome. We're all going to be the world power again. And, he, and he's a baby when he showed up. He was worthless. He couldn't even eat on his own. I mean, could do nothing. But now look what he's doing. So maybe he actually is the Messiah and you're beginning to wonder until that horrible morning when he was arrested. And then he is beaten within an inch of his life. And you weren't anywhere to be seen because you were scared for your life. And then they crucified him. And you don't even know when he died, but you assumed because the earth went dark and, and you were behind locked doors. And here's what we all thought. We thought, well, there's no way he was the Messiah because Messiahs don't die. There's no way Messiahs die. And now you were really scared. Why? Because Jesus isn't with you. I mean, this is this repeating pattern over and over and over again in our lives as disciples, right? We, you're assured when Jesus is beside you. And then you're afraid when Jesus is away from you. It just repeats and repeats and repeats. And now he is really away from you, like permanently away. He's behind a, a, a huge stone in a tomb. And you're really scared because you think you're probably next. I mean, they killed the leader, but you're right behind him. You were a proponent of this movement, this fake messianic movement. You were right there, and now they're gonna come find you. So we're all hiding. We're all so scared. And then the most amazing thing happens, and we were not prepared for this. Some of you wanna pretend that you knew it was gonna happen, but you didn't, because we were all dumb. Remember, we didn't pass rabbinic school. We were the dumb people. So we didn't know he was gonna come back to life. He told us so many times, but we couldn't understand it. And so none of us were outside of the tomb on Sunday morning counting down from 10. You know, 10, 9, cue the sun, here he comes. None of us were doing that. We were all behind the locked door. We were terrified. And then some of our best friends, some, some of these wonderful ladies came running back. And they said, we went to the tomb. We were going to try to rewrap his body because we know some guys did it. And they don't know how to do that. They're horrible at wrapping bodies when the sense. And so we got we to do it right. Women, it's like the laundry or the ironing. You got, we, we are terrible at these things. And so the women knew that. They ran down and he's gone. And then they see him and they can't believe that he's come back to life. Again, they didn't expect it. They run back. Some of you ran down. And you saw this risen Jesus. And you know what you did? You did not go back behind locked doors at all. And I'll tell you why. You were so assured. You were more assured than ever. 
Because now not only is Jesus beside you again, he is a resurrected from the dead Jesus beside you. Listen, if Rome wasn't taking you seriously before, look out. I mean, if a person comes back to life and now he is with you, it is on like Donkey Kong, right? Like there is nothing to fear anymore. There is no reason to be afraid. He's not gonna leave you. He is gonna be with you forever. And we are about to dominate because now we got the resurrected guy leading us. Not just the guy who can do the water into wine trick. He came back to life, yo. Like it's on. And, And this is what they're feeling. This is what you're feeling. This is exactly what you're feeling. And then Jesus, Jesus looks at us and he says the most irritating and weird thing maybe we've ever heard from him. He says, it is for your good that I am going away. And you think, uh, what? Because Jesus, I gotta be honest. Every time you went away, it wasn't good for us. Every time you went away, it got worse for us. And then you died. I don't know how that was for you. For us, it was really bad. Like we were terrified. We were terrified when you were in that tomb. And now you're not. Now it is really going to happen. We are really gonna take over. We don't have the white horse and the sword, but I think if you can come back to life, that's good enough. We, it's about to happen. He had, they had no idea. You had no idea what Jesus had planned for you. You were ready for him to like rip off his robe and expose the giant M for Messiah on his chest, like super Messiah. And it was all gonna be different. And now he says, oh, by the way, I'm gonna leave. And and you're gonna be grateful that I'm leaving. (laughs) It made no sense. It's crazy. But but what might be even kind of harder to understand for us, and again, we're not the smartest bunch, right? We, we didn't take everything in Jesus said. He says the things we couldn't understand. And, and one of the things he talked about, we just missed. The night before, the night before he was gonna be crucified, remember we were in that upper room and, 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 and Jesus was having the Passover feast with us. And he said it, he did a bunch of things. He washed our feet, that was weird. He did all these things and he said some very important things and we missed most of it. The the night before he was crucified, let me remind you of the conversation that he had with us. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Then he continues, "And, and if I go, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. By the way, you know the way. Now, again, we are living in this world where we're thinking every time you go, it gets worse. When you stay, it's better. So if you're going, how about we just go with you? (laughs) If you're going, how about we just tattle along right behind you? Like, it's cool if you wanna go somewhere, we're just gonna go with you. Have you ever heard the phrase doubting Thomas? This is kind of where this comes. Some of you have been using that. You don't even know who Jesus is, me and calling people a doubting Thomas. You didn't know, you're quoting the Bible, okay? Jesus, Jesus is having this conversation. Thomas, Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Later, when Jesus appears after the resurrection, Thomas is the one who has to touch the holes in his wrist and feel the puncture in his side before he would believe it. He was doubting Thomas. He says, well, if we, if we don't know the way, how are we gonna go with you? Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Now just hold on. Think of the works that he has been doing so far. Okay, he has been doing some pretty big things. 
Remember we talked about them, the water into wine, the heal. He's spitting in dirt, making mud pies and curing blindness. It's kind of a big deal. He says, if you believe in me, if you believe in me, you will do the things that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. You'll do even more. You'll do greater things because, because I am going to the Father. Again, it makes no sense. You know, when you're with us, maybe we can do something okay. I mean, you're still the master. We're just learning. But you're telling us that we're going to do even bigger and better things because you're going after you have gone? Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, and this is a really important word, advocate, to help you and to be with you forever, forever. The spirit of truth. But, Jesus continues, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So interesting. Peace, he continues, and he finishes. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, which had to be hysterical to them. And do not be afraid. Don't worry, it's all gonna be fine. I'm leaving you, but I'm gonna leave you with my peace. And you know what they're thinking? You know what you're thinking? Here's the question you're asking. How can you leave us with peace if you are the peace? How can you leave us with peace if you are the peace? Gotta be honest, Jesus, every time you left, the peace went with you. When you came back, the peace came back with you. I felt way more peaceful when you were with me. I felt way better when you were around. And then he dies the next morning. You're terrified. There's no peace. Three days later, you have peace again. And then Jesus is around for about 40 days. He's interacting with you. He's hanging out with about 400 people that saw this risen savior, apparently. It's pretty incredible. And somewhere along that 40-day time is when he says to you, hey, it's for your good that I'm going away. Here, here's the whole statement that he tells us. He says, but, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, so there's like a caveat. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. This advocate is the reason that Jesus needed to leave us. This, whatever this advocate thing is, is the reason that Jesus thinks it's going to be better if he goes away again, but this time for a much longer time. It's not just three days. To which it should lead all of us to ask the same question. What in the world can be better than Jesus by our side? What could be better than Jesus by your side? Or maybe the better way to ask it is who could be better than Jesus by your side? Who in the world could be better? I mean, think about the songs we sing right now. The, the, the worship songs, so much about Jesus. I think we would all say, if Jesus could show up in the middle of our service right now, if you were in Chipley and Jesus showed up in Bluntstown, you'd be ticked off because you went to the wrong campus this morning. You know, if Jesus was in Mariana, you know, all the Chipley Bluntstown people would be so angry. They'd be driving a thousand miles an hour down that road to get here. Why? Well, Jesus is here. The peace is here. That's how we would probably feel. But I'll tell you what the answer to this is. Who could be better than Jesus at your side? It's very simple, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. That, that's who, the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I, I don't wanna pretend that I know everything about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is kind of mysterious. I am not arrogant enough or prideful enough to know everything about it. I had so many moments as a pastor where people would walk up to me before or after church. Uh, you're Paul, you maybe experienced this. People say, hey, can you explain this to me? And you're like, sure. And they ask you this question that nobody can explain. Or they bring a child up. My, my child has a question. Oh, sure. And you assume it's something very simple. Could you explain the Trinity to me? You're like, what? Like, you're a child. So it's hard to explain this thing. This God in three different versions or three different persons. This spiritual part of it is very hard to explain. But here's what I know for sure. And here's what I think we can all believe for sure. One, that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. The Holy Spirit isn't this it thing. It's an actual person. The Holy Spirit is a person, and this is important, who relates to us in person. The Holy Spirit is a person who relates to us in person. Just as Jesus is personal, that God is personal, the Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit often speaks in very quiet, still voices and nudges. I won't tell you the whole story, but I'm not the person who typically talks to strangers in places. Um, but there have been a few moments where I felt like I should, and I don't know why. One of them specifically, I was at a doctor's appointment for my, one of my kids um, was born with club feet. I don't know if you know what that is, but when he was born, his feet were not like this. They were like this. Um, which made changing diapers easier because um, you could just grab them, you know? But everything else about it was kind of scary. <laughs> I feel like I can say that now because he's, he's perfect. But um, when he was born, that was weird, sorry. When he was born, um, and we didn't have an ultrasound because we didn't have insurance. So when he was born, we didn't know. And, 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 the, and the nurse, when he was born, said, oh, sometimes they turn back before you leave. And then she ran out of the room before we realized that she was lying. And so... You know, we, we went home with him like that and four days, he was four days old. I had to take him to his first appointment and they put cast on up to his thigh and they slowly turn his feet. You know, muscles and ligaments and all that at that age are just like rubber. I mean, they're, they're so, even their bones. And so they, over, over seven weeks, got a new cast every week and turned his feet this way. And then he had surgery. And I mean, it was kind of a big deal, you know? Now he was three and he's like every three-year-old, right? Just annoying and getting into everything. And, and he's running around the waiting room and a, a mom comes in carrying a little baby, a newborn. And she by herself and she sits down and she has kind of teary looking and um, the nurse opens the door and says, um, uh, Mr. Adams, uh, the doctor's ready to see you guys now. And I get up and I start walking to go back to the room and I tell the nurse, I say, hold on a second. I, I wanna say something to this, to this lady really quick. And I do not do this, this is super weird. And I, I don't wanna be the creepy man who's like talking to the single mom. Hey, you know, like it just seems weird. And so the nurse says, oh, I'm sorry, the doctor's ready for you now. And I said, well, the doctor's gonna need to wait. And I walked over and I sat down by this mom and she didn't even see me at first because she's kind of distraught. And I said, hey, are, are, are you here because your child has club feet? And she looks at me and she says, yes. She said, she's just three or four days old and, and she's in tears. And I said, hey, I said, this is my son, Aaron. He's three. I said, I can't even catch him anymore. I said, he was born with club feet too. I said, you have the best doctors here. She's gonna be great. I said, but it's gonna be painful for a minute. I said, and you're gonna hate it. Your daughter's not gonna remember any of it. You're gonna hate it because you're gonna feel like a bad mom or whatever. I said, don't worry about it. 
And we talked for about four or five minutes and, and I walked away and I thought, why did I, why did I do that? And, I, and now I'll tell you, it's the Holy Spirit. That's why, because he relates to us in person. He relates to us in person. And then the last thing I know for sure is that he indwells us when we accept Jesus as our savior. The, the second you decided to put your faith in Jesus, God gave you the Holy Spirit. Part of that was to renew your spirit. But part of it was to be your guide, to be your counselor, to be your, the word Jesus used a lot, your advocate. And you know, when we begin, when we begin to understand a little bit more about the Holy Spirit, when we begin to understand more about the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand why Jesus was so adamant that he leave us. Because see, if Jesus didn't leave, one of us would have him with us, but nobody else could. You know, if I had Jesus with me on the way somewhere, you couldn't have him with you. You're praying for traveling mercy, but I got Jesus in the car. So good luck, right? That's why this was such a big deal. This is why it was such a big deal. If we just go back and pretend for just for a few more minutes, let's pretend again we're disciples. And and, and, and we're with Jesus at the very end. You remember he ascended into heaven. You can read about this in the book of Acts. He goes back to heaven and we're just standing there looking and we're like, I wish he wouldn't go because it's way better when he's with us. I know we made this promise, but I'm not so sure. And he's gone and we're still looking up at the sky and God goes, what are you looking at? Get going. You got work to do. The great commission and we all leave, but we don't really do much because Jesus is gone. We're just confused. And we don't want to be afraid, but we kind of are. I mean, we're a little confused. And you remember there was that day we were all sitting in the room and we were talking about Jesus and we were talking about this advocate and we didn't know what he meant, but we were trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden the house started shaking and we got really scared because that isn't normal. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like author of Acts, Luke, he described it like tongues of fire. I don't know if that's true, but something happened dramatically. And all of us, all of them, all of the disciples were filled, all of the followers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden they felt the presence of Jesus with them, even though he wasn't with them. They felt the power of God's spirit in them, even though Jesus wasn't standing beside them. And it was such a dramatic moment. And here's what all of them realized that the Holy Spirit inside of them was so much better than having Jesus beside of them. And you know it's true for you too? The Holy Spirit inside of you is so much better than having Jesus beside you too. The Holy Spirit inside of you is so powerful. The Holy Spirit inside of you is the, the living Spirit of God alive in you, allowing you, by the way, to experience everything you've ever wanted to experience in life anyway. Have you heard of this thing called the fruit of the Spirit? Right? It's called the fruit of the Spirit because it's what the Spirit of God offers to us every single day of our lives. When we recognize that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, indwells in you and is living in you. When we begin to walk in that and live in that, here's what we should start experiencing. The fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things. And it isn't in, in here. God doesn't say, which one's your favorite? We'll work on that today. That's not how this works. God says, with the Holy Spirit in you, all of these are available to you all the time. All of these things. I, in the last couple of days, I have felt, especially yesterday, I just woke up to the news like you did about what's happening in Israel. It broke my heart. 
It broke my heart. And it isn't just because civilians and innocent children and women and you know, people are, are, are dying. That's terrifying. And that does break my heart. It's also the, just the reality of the Middle East and there's never gonna be a lot of peace there. There's too much happened for thousands of years. It's complicated. And that breaks my heart. It really does. But you know what? With the Holy Spirit in me, there is a level of peace that comes in the midst of all the heartbreak. If I could say it, there's some joy, not happiness, but there's some joy that can still happen in my heart, even in the midst of all of that. Some of you are going through really tough things right now. And you're wondering, where is God? I'll tell you, if you're a follower of God, he is right here in you. And he is wanting you to experience all of that in the midst of the mess that you are in. Some of you chose the mess and God still wants you to experience all of these things, even though you made a terrible decision and all the mess is your fault. God doesn't want to punish you for that. He's already forgiven you for it. He wants you to get it right next time to experience this in the meantime. Some of you are experiencing some terrible things and you didn't choose it at all. It was chosen for you. Some other moron made a bad decision and you just got the shrapnel from it, right? Or it's just life, just a diagnosis. Nobody did anything, it just happened. And God wants you to experience all of this in the midst of all of that mess. I don't think we ever really fully recognize that the exact same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus to life is alive in you. It's not a substitute secondary, you know, 2.0 spirit. The exact same, I mean, think about this just for, just for a second. The exact same spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave is living in you right now and is active and wants to lead you and wants to counsel you and wants to be your advocate. If we'll just listen, literally, if we'll just slow down long enough to listen, if we'll just assume that that nudge might be God, if we'll just assume that that feeling we have isn't the pizza we ate last night, is Jesus in us. If we'll just assume that God's spirit really is alive and really alive in us. Can you imagine how much different our life would be if that's what we believed were true about us as a Jesus follower? I mean, it's hard to imagine that which I think is why we miss it so many times. I, I, listen, I'll just kind of close with this. I've missed it so many times. I mean, I'll tell you the story about being at the you know, doctor's office. How many times have I felt that and thought, no, I don't have time. Uh, that's weird. Oh no, I probably shouldn't. Oh, they look like they're you know, sad. I don't want to bother them. I mean, how many times do I miss it? Probably 95% of the time. There was a season in my life where I was so frustrated and I was trying to figure out what to do with my career. And I've mentioned this before a little bit, but I mean, I was, I mean I've been in pastoring for so long and, and you know, all of our jobs are hard. So I don't want to make it sound like pastoring's harder, but pastoring's harder, I, if you don't know that, it really is. Because there's a weight, you know? Like if you work at, you know, like you, if you're a plumber, Satan's like not looking at you going, well, I'm gonna stop the plumbing. I mean, you know, you're doing important work, but when, when you work as a pastor, I mean, there's just a bigger target. I, I, if you've ever had that, you know that. You just have to believe me if you haven't. There's a bigger target. And it feels like all day people bring you their big rocks of, of mess and they want you to hold their rock for them. And it's exhausting because you got a bunch of people bringing you rocks and your backpack gets really full of their rocks and you're trying to carry it for them with them and it's exhausting. And I remember thinking, I'm just a bad rock carrier. Like I've done my due, I've, I've carried enough rocks, so like I'm done. So talking to my dad one day about all this. I was starting to interview with marketplace friends and talk. I was just trying to figure anything out I could do. And 
I'm talking to my dad about this one day and uh, my dad's so sweet, so wise. And after about three hours of me like being frustrated, he, he kind of looks at me and he says, well, son, I, I've known you your whole life. He was like, you, you, you put your faith in Jesus when you were seven. I've known you your entire life. And here's something I know for sure. He says, you already have what you want. You just don't know it. Now, I didn't catch it at the time because I was so angry still and I was just so tired. On the way home, I, I was about an hour and 20 minute drive home and um, I usually listen to radio or you know, mostly 80s music or podcasts or whatever. And I just rode in silence the whole way. And I was just, the whole time I was thinking, what does he mean by that? And about halfway to my house, I thought, oh, I think I know what he means. I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I think he's saying that you already have the access to joy, to peace, to patience, to gentleness, to love. So you have access to all of that. You already have it. You're just not paying attention to it. You're just not living in step with that. Everywhere you go, it's there with you. And you can change jobs, that's fine. But I mean, everywhere you go, there you are. If you take your you know, bad emotion from here to there, didn't like the emotions don't go with you. I mean, how many times have we done that, right? Well, if I just change jobs, if I just change marriages, if I just change whatever, and you're like, well, you brought yourself to the next thing. It didn't fix anything. The whole time, the Holy Spirit's in there going, just listen to me. Just let me lead you. Just listen. Just let me counsel you. Let me love you. Let me accept you. Let me define your identity in me. The whole time. That, that was a pivotal moment for me. And I haven't gotten it right every day since then, but I will tell you, every day since then, I have tried to think that way. And I haven't experienced complete peace and joy and all that every single moment, but I've had way more of it than I used to. So much more. And I'll tell you why. The only difference isn't that the Holy Spirit entered my life. He was already there. I just started listening. I just started paying attention. So again, I don't know what's happening with you. I don't know what your life looks like right now. The one thing I can promise you is that if you have put your faith in Jesus, everything you want is available. It's not available in the way you may think. It's not available in the way that you've been trying to pursue it, but it's there. And if you'll just slow down enough to listen to that still quiet voice of the Holy Spirit, perhaps, perhaps, everything in your life will be better. Maybe everything will be different. Maybe you'll experience joy in the midst of suffering, peace in the midst of chaos. What if that's true? What if that's possible? I mean, the stories of all these disciples seems to indicate it is. The things they did on the other side of the resurrection seems to indicate that something happened in them. What if that exact same thing is possible for us? It's crazy. I think it is. I think it's probably worth paying attention to. Can I pray for all of us just for a second? Father God, I don't think we have any concept of the power that is living in our heart and living in our spirit. <laughs> I mean, if we really believe that was true, can you imagine the things that we would do, the things that we would feel comfortable doing, the, things, the kind of prayers we would pray, the kind of conversations that we would have? I mean, it just would change everything. God, I pray that we will begin to live out of that. And I, I, Not that it's gonna make life easy. You have promised life's gonna be hard. But how we navigate it with, with you as our counselor and our advocate living in our spirit, it just changes everything. So God, just give us the wisdom to know what to do with that. And give us the courage to try 
to listen and to be led by your spirit. Jesus, we love you so much and uh, we pray this in your name, amen. Hey, again, thanks so much for having me here. Love you guys and uh, see you next time. Thank you.